Welcome to Season 4, Episode 5 of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. And joining me for the podcast, once again, from the continent of Africa, is my co-host, Patrick Reed. Patrick, how are things going in the Gambia today? Things are going well here. How are things going in uh, the States? I can't complain. Nobody wants to hear it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) No, things are going quite well. Uh, Tanya and I have a couple of our uh, young adult children home for the weekend, so that's exciting and uh, brings cheer into our household. Uh, I'm preaching a message that I'm pretty excited about this Sunday, so my condition often depends on what I'm preaching on next. (laughs) (laughs) You had a big event this week. Uh, One of your kids turned 13. Is that right? Yep, Danielle turned 13. We had a little birthday party. We're going to have an actual party on What's today? Today's Friday. Actual party tomorrow. Um, So should be good. That's awesome. Well, why don't we just jump right into our podcast here today? Um, The title of our podcast episode is Deliverance or Devilish Errancy. Deliverance Ministry is kind of in the news recently. I appreciate you suggesting this topic for today. There are many factors that have come together to make this podcast episode appropriate for today. You mentioned one of our former guests as you were talking with me concerning the production of this podcast, evangelist Philip Shipper. Some of y'all who are listening may remember him. He's actually been on twice, if I remember correctly. And the first time he was on, he was kind of fresh off of having COVID. And that was one of our most popular podcasts, um, because at that point, most of us were still fairly ignorant of what it was like to have COVID and especially severe COVID. So uh, that was what we brought him on for. But of course, we got a lot of good stuff out of him other than just COVID information, because he's a great man of God. And you mentioned that he, um, in our conversations about this podcast episode, you you mentioned a Facebook post that he had made. So I went and looked it up, me and my you know great detective skills. It wasn't too hard for me to find it. And uh, so I just want to start off here by reading that post, and it'll kind of introduce some of the other factors that God has used to get me to the place of wanting to discuss to discuss deliverance ministry today. So I assume this is the podcast, uh, the, uh, excuse me, I assume this is the Facebook post you're talking about that you were talking about when you texted me about this. Uh, Here's what I found on Phil's page. Uh, Perhaps the deliverance that is needed is from making bad choices and then blaming the consequences on external forces. It may not be devils, but your own disregard for the word of God and the spirit of God, end quote. So if the listeners don't have any context 
for what that's all about, uh, give them a basic idea of what deliverance ministry supposedly is, if you don't mind, Patrick. <laughs> what do they mean when they say, you need deliverance? What are they usually talking about? Well, I'll do my best, but you know, I think there's uh, a wide range of, of thought. But mm -hmm. from what I've seen, it it's um, some pastors who basically say that if you uh, this deliverance ministry, from what I can tell, always seems to be related to Christians. Um, I have not seen it related to non Christians, so I think they are saying that basically, if you have anything that you're dealing with that's a problem. Typically, there's some sort of demon uh, that's causing the issue. Uh, and so many times, you know, like if you're having issues with depression, it's because you have a demon of depression. If you're having issues with some other uh, particular sin of some nature, if you're having a problem, you know, alcoholism, right? Um, they'll be like, well, you have a demon of alcoholism. And so they will have these things where they cast out these demons, um, which is supposed to heal these people from these issues. Um, so that's that's pretty much what I've seen. Uh, and I think uh, that's where a lot of the questions come up is, you know, you know they're, they seem to be casting out demons from Christians, uh, from what I can tell. Although I've heard arguments that from these people that will say, well, you know, we know that demons can't possess Christians, but they're casting them out. So I, I don't really quite fully understand what they're what they believe. Um, but I can just tell you what I see, and it seems from the outside looking in that they're casting out demons out of Christians uh, who are having whatever type of issue they're having, and all of the issues seem to be caused by demons. Okay. So deliverance ministry is a modern name for exorcism, <laughs> uh, essentially. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. And if I could give you my... If I could give you my unscripted response when I when I hear you say that, the first thing that comes to my mind is it reminds me of Catholic theology and the role of deceased saints in the life of, of um, a devout Orthodox Catholic, because they have these mm -hmm. saints who are appointed over seemingly every aspect of your life. And so if you're having trouble with your gastrointestinal tract, you go and pray to this saint. And if you have trouble with uh, the weather, you go to pray to that mm. saint. And, and I'm being a little bit facetious, but not altogether. Um, mm. I, I never thought of that. It does sound kind of like that, doesn't it? <laughs> it's strange. It's like the <laughs> other end of that thing. Rather than asking for blessing, you're, tr you're pr trying to pray for deliverance from the curse. Um, but it's, I don't know, It's it seemed, it's just superstition is what it feels like. That's my initial impression on the positive side an unscripted answer that i did not intend to give but it, it occurs to me that when you read the book of daniel there does seem to be demons associated at least with certain human events though perhaps no one is possessed by this demon they are certainly influenced controlled empowered and so forth when daniel talks about you know, the prince of Persia did this, and he's naming these uh, seemingly spiritual forces, you know, that right. have to do with geopolitical events. Um, my, my first impression is when I hear you describe what deliverance ministry is, and that's similar to what I found as well as I tried to research this, um, 
my initial impression is, you know what? seems like all of the errors that come along in Christianity, there's some nugget of truth. There's some track record. There's some uh, precedent that is leaning in that direction. And then people just go to seed on it, right? And they just focus, 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 and emphasize, um, and then end up, I think, twisting, misinterpreting, misapplying, and so on and so forth. But, you know, as I go back to Phil's post, Let's suppose that I was into deliverance ministry, which I think for our educated listeners and those who've listened to us for a while, I think you would immediately say, well, these must be charismatics. Uh, these must be people who who are continuationists, who believe the gifts from the book of Acts that the apostles had are still, uh, you know, fully applicable today. Um, but even, even if I were in, would you agree with that? First of all, would you agree with that characterization of this? If someone's into deliverance ministry, they're either charismatic or heavily influenced by the charismatics, or at least they're leaning in the direction of their theology. Would you agree with that? Generally speaking, but the one person who seems to be leading it doesn't come from that background. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course, the charismatic movement has had fingers in every denomination, including Catholicism. So there are certain certain aspects of the charismatic movement that have touched um, just about every facet of Christianity somewhere, somehow, some way, even in my rearing. And I'm running a rabbit trail now, but even in my rearing in rural Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, the independent fundamental Baptist churches were heavily influenced by the charismatic expression or the culture of excitement. And so we had you know, we had everything except the doctrine of a second blessing and speaking in tongues and healing campaigns. You know, uh, some of the churches that I was associated with, in fact, the place that I was saved, you would have thought I'm in a Pentecostal meeting if you went in because there there was uh, screaming, spitting, stomping, running, uh, hopping pews, you know, every kind of outward expression of uh, intensity that you would expect in a charismatic uh, setting was there uh, in in that independent fundamental setting. So the charismatic movement has definitely had its influence all over the place. But anyway, if even if I was of that ilk, and I tried to read Phil's post charitably, I would see truth in it. Perhaps the deliverance that is needed is from making bad choices and then blaming the consequences on external forces. In other words, there's no way that I think I would conclude nothing is my responsibility. Everything that comes my way is a product of some demon's influence on me. Right. In other words, it could be both. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I think that's what the Bible teaches. Yeah, and he, and he, <laughs> Phil, if I could just... I mean, I'm a Phil fan here. Um, he even expresses it this way. Now, maybe he's being a little bit cynical, but he says it may not be devils, but your own disregard for the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So, you know, it's like during the millennial, of course, I'm a premillennialist, and I believe that during the millennial reign of Christ, there will be people who live on this earth who, without Satan and his army tempting and accusing them, will still harbor evil in their heart. And that's why there will be a great rebellion at the end of the millennial reign. That's without the devil even being around. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but when we blame everything on the devil, we're going back to the Garden of Eden and playing the part of Eve. 
and that didn't fly. She mm. she still got in trouble. It wasn't the devil made me do it didn't work in her discussion with God. God didn't say, well, we'll just have an exorcism, get rid of the devil, and then everything will be fine. You know, so anyway, I like what Phil said. That's my point. <laughs> I think it's pretty solid. <laughs> and of course, he didn't give the context. And that's why I asked you for the context, because if somebody doesn't know what's going on, then they would be like, what is he talking about? I assume that he wrote this based upon a recent movie that has come out. It's called Come Out in Jesus's Name. Actually, I think they have a grammatical error in their title. They just have Come Out in Jesus' Name. Not that that matters. But anyway, I wouldn't recommend you try to get a hold of this movie or try to see it. I would not recommend that at all. Uh, Greg Locke is the guy behind this movie. And uh, it is a movie that is a documentary on his journey into deliverance ministry. And uh, I don't know if you looked this up or not. I looked it up. It's made almost a million dollars. It was only apparently shown one day, March the 13th of this year. And it did show in 766 theaters, which is quite, uh, you know, quite an impact for something as fringe as this is. At least I, I describe this as fringe. Here's the description of that movie, by the way, from boxofficemojo.com. So these are all their words, probably a blurb that was put out by the folks from Come Out in Jesus' Name, but it could be from someone else. I don't know. Anyway, here's what it is describing this movie. Following a startling chain of events, the most controversial pastor in America, Greg Locke, took a 180-degree turn from his mainstream religious traditions— and led his church into, I agree with it up to there. I don't agree with the rest here. <laughs> he led his church into legitimate revival, it says. He and a, div- and a diverse group of unconventional preachers then began to spark the most important awakening in the history of the Christian church. That's mm. quite a statement. Even <laughs> Through, more important than the Reformation. Yeah, right. <laughs> Through the most unlikely means by casting out demons. This fiery film documents the beginning of their journey. Come out in Jesus' name will be followed by a live simulcast event where great pastor Locke and his fellow demon slayers will lead a supernatural mass deliverance in Jesus' name. This is a Locke Media film, a Global Vision Bible Church production. And that ends the quote on that particular page. That's not interesting. He even scripted ahead of time a mass deliverance. Yeah. As though God didn't have anything to do with it. It was just, uh, he, he already had it planned out. It was going to happen. Yeah. Right at the time the movie played. Yeah. No <laughs> doubt. He, he, he must have a prophetic vision to know all these demon possessed people that are going to show up in the theaters. I guess so. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And by the way, when he, when, if it's him writing this or one of his cohorts uh, calling themselves fellow demon slayers, that's actually right in line with the way that that uh, he presents things. I was watching a video of him yesterday where he was describing how God has used controversy to build his platform. And so he is intentionally controversial. He looks for controversy in order to build a following and then use that following for what he believes his mission is. So that's a very interesting approach to the Great Commission. Uh, let's talk about 
Donald Trump and build a big following by being controversial. Let's talk about COVID and let's talk about uh, vaccines and build a big following by being controversial. And then we can, you know, launch into what we actually want to teach and say. That's essentially what he said in the video. Hmm. It's not a surprise if, if he's the one that wrote, hey, we are the demon slayers. It doesn't surprise me at all. Also makes it about the people, not about God. Yeah, no doubt. Yep. So going back to Phil's comment or his post on Facebook, Greg Locke commented on Phil's post a couple of times. So I want to read what Greg had to say. Here's his first comment. He said, and here again, the ignorance with which people speak about deliverance ministry is nauseating. No one in true biblical deliverance ministry believes this nonsense. Of course, we believe in discipline and taking personal responsibility. That doesn't take away from oppression, affliction, and the torment of evil spirits in people's lives. The denominational mindset for condemning something that people don't even want to understand is utterly ridiculous. I don't even want to see stuff like this in my feed. I wasted decades with a spirit of religion, and I won't waste another second on it. There are responses on this post that will be considered by God, that will be considered by God, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I'll be thinning out my friends list today. End quote. Wow, that quote makes so much more sense now that I listened to his recent message yeah. about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's quite interesting because I, I read this and there are parts of what he's saying I, I agree with. You know, I mean, I think what he's saying is, from what I can tell, he doesn't believe that it takes out discipline and taking uh, personal responsibility. At least that's yes. what he says. The problem is, is I think what the reality is, not what he thinks or what yeah. he claims it is. Yes. Um, and he doesn't call it, he calls it oppression. He doesn't call it, you know, that, that the devil is, or the, the demons are completely controlling them, that it's not an indwelling of these spirits. He's not I calling noticed, it that. I noticed that. Um, so biblically speaking, what he's saying is all accurate here, but the reality of what he's doing doesn't make sense. Yeah. This is what I cannot figure out. Well, that's uh, here. Let me let me uh, be guilty of what he is accusing us of doing, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. He is following a strategy of Satan here where he speaks one thing and does another. So Satan in his conversation with Eve Satan in his conversation with Jesus, in both those cases, he spoke some things that were true. But what he was looking for was altogether different than what God was pushing for. Um, so that doesn't surprise me um, that he can, you know, say things that make sense, say things that you can find some defense for it in the Bible. But you look at what he's actually doing, and it's like, no, wait a second, this is way offline from the direction your words seem to be pointing. So. And, he, and he's saying here that basically what I'm, he's implying, I don't know if he's directly saying it, but he's certainly implying that anybody that speaks negatively or claims that the deliverance ministries 
that are going on is the work of the devil and not of God. If anybody is claiming that, they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit and they're going to hell. This yeah, because that's, yeah, that's unpardonable. You will right. not be forgiven for blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. Right. So, yeah, that, you're going to hell. This is what he's claiming. You, yeah. <laughs> that's very convenient. It lines up with his ministry. Yeah. Very and, convenient. <laughs> and if I could jump up on a soapbox and scream here for a second, Jesus attributed some of the words of Peter to Satan. You know, and mm. Greg Locke is no Peter. <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> right. he is... He is no Peter the Apostle. So the idea that you and I can't be used by us, I tell my people at church, compare what I say to the scripture. Satan can use any of us, including me. You know, I'm not infallible. I've had to go back and apologize for things I've taught. I've had to go back and apologize for things I've done, realizing I was an instrument of Satan in that circumstance. So it really is disgusting. He wants to talk about being nauseated. I'm not nauseated, but I'm disgusted um, to hear him essentially equate his words with the words of Christ and his works with the works of Christ. How, how absurd, you know, Paul said, evaluate what I'm saying, compare it with a scripture. And he commended those who did. He didn't say, if you, you know, if you question anything I'm doing, then, then you've committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. How absurd. Well, I want to take a minute and just compare what he's what what these ministries are doing with the logic of what the Bible teaches, because this is where I think things are all mixed up, because he, he says things in a way that it almost sounds like it lines up with the scriptures. Right. But there's a there's an overarching problem here. Because first of all, one of the things you hear them say over and over and over again is I cast out these demons. Mm-hmm. But these are supposedly a bunch of believers. Right. And he, even in his statement, seems to believe that demons cannot possess believers. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the Bible teaches, First John 4, 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he, um, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, God who purchased us with his own blood and dwells inside of us, surely he would not let a demon take control of us. No. Right. So it seems to me that he is talking about oppression of demons. And yet at the same time, he's casting demons out. Yeah. The problem is the Bible doesn't teach us anywhere to cast away demons that are oppressing believers. No, no, I, no actually it gives us the recipe. It doesn't. Right. And, and it gives us the recipe. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You resist the devil and he will flee from right. you. It doesn't James say, I will resist the devil for you and right. rebuke him and send him away. That's not what it says. You, you want to have victory over the devil, you draw close to God, plain and simple. Right. Or first, you don't need Peter an exorcism. Eight, Go ahead. Right. Be, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist yeah. him, standing firm in the faith. Yeah. Or if you want... A really big description, and I won't read it all, but go to Ephesians 6, 11 through 17 about the armor of God, Yeah. right? None of it is about, uh, none of these things say go to a deliverance ritual by Greg Locke. Yes. Or by any of you people. Yeah. Uh, by the apostles. The apostles didn't even do that. Right. Right. They, you, don't, you don't see one example of apostles casting a demon away from believers or giving no. any instructions about it. No, I mean, wouldn't you think that was would have been an important instruction they should have left with us? Yeah, 
if, if this was something we were supposed to be doing. And no. yet there's, there's none of it in the Bible. There's no, no. one for us to do this. Yeah. What uh, was that reference in Peter? Cause I kind of drowned you out. First uh, Peter five, eight and nine. Yeah. Yeah. And I heard, uh, I, this was what attention to this a while back, um, was I came across an article where Greg said he heard from a demon that there were witches in his church. So apparently this man is talking to demons. And then he wonders why people are accusing him of working for Satan. Mm. He's literally claimed he spoke to a demon who said there were witches in his church. I don't know, five or six witches in his church that they threw out of the church. Right. Mm. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, why did they remove them from the church? Why didn't they just cast the demons out of them and, you know, set them right? free? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, uh, can you hear the water running? I'm going to be real quiet. Can you hear the water running in the background? No. Okay. Well, good. I was going to ask you to uh, exercise the uh, demon out of my gutter up here because the water is pouring down right outside my window and disturbing <laughs> me. So, <laughs> uh, interestingly, if I could depart from the script again, I've got another comment from um, Greg Locke that I want to read that was under um, evangelist Phil uh, Shipper. I always get confused with his name. Yeah, Shipper, S-C-H-I-P-P-E-R, Philip Shipper. I've got another comment from Greg under his um, Facebook post, but, um, you know, I remember almost, this would be 20 plus years ago, close to 25, I was on staff with another uh, individual who I believe is a godly person, godly man, but somewhere he encountered this idea of pleading the blood of Jesus over stuff. And he came to me and asked me what I thought about it. And of course, I had never, never heard that, you know, phrase. It struck me as spell casting, you know. Mm -hmm. But now I'm running into that same terminology with this with this deliverance ministry. You know, they plead the blood of Jesus on this or that circumstance, as if there's particular power, you know, in that wording, which again sounds superstitious to me. It sounds more like occult stuff than it does you know, the gospel. So that was like almost 25 years ago that, that, that I encountered that. And then when I became pastor up here, I had a man come to me and he said, I could give his name right now. Some of my listeners would know him. And he said, every ailment, every sickness, every problem you have, there is a demon that is behind that problem and bringing that problem into your life. Well, I guess this isn't new thought, is it? <laughs> no, that was, so I've been here almost 18 years. That was probably 15 or 16 years ago. Uh, so, you know, there were already people on, on the fringes or in other groups that I wasn't aware of who was teaching this stuff. It's becoming more mainstream, I think, through, what is it, Bethel Church out uh, on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. They have some yeah. of these uh, these practices. My son was telling me about uh, some some famous Christian guy who was supposedly laying on the grave of Lonnie Frisbee to soak up his anointing, uh, which is, you know, part of that. I don't know if you've heard of grave soaking or not, but that's part of that same, same no. group. So I don't think, I don't think I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. Yeah. You know what? 
That's one of the things as I as I prepared for this, I was like, you know, I don't even like dealing with this. This is so distracting and annoying. Um, it's like I'm giving the devil more credit than we should be. Well, giving. I I do think we should at least talk about because so many times, like people on our side will then be accused of, well, we just believe everything is superstitious and demons don't exist. And I I think there are extremes on both yes. sides because yes. I think. You know, the, and, and where Greg Locke comes from, the 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 IFB Church certainly is guilty mm-hmm. of, of some of no those doubt. things. Um, and surely demons exist. Yeah, surely demons still possess people. Absolutely, this happens. Absolutely, it's happening today in our world. And you know what? If Greg Locke was going around casting out legitimate demons from non-believers who were possessed by a demon. Uh, and you can read the Bible and get some examples of, of what that looks like. Yep. If he was doing that, I wouldn't have any issue with him. Right. None whatsoever. Yeah. Um, however, that's not our primary ministry no. on this earth that he's left the church with. No. Uh, yes. As the apostles ran into people who were possessed by devils, they cast them out, but they weren't searching for him. No, <laughs> they weren't inviting them to their church and saying, come to me so I can cast out your devil. This wasn't the ministry. The ministry was here's gospel. This is what they need anyways. Um, This was not their primary ministry. No. And it was a result of being able to show the the power that God had and the authority that God had given the apostles as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think it's important that we realize that, yes, demons exist. Yes, demons can possess. And yes, demons can oppress mm-hmm. um, Christians. They did Paul. Um, but the, Right, exactly. That was the example I was going to bring up. Paul, but, but look at what happened with Paul. Three times he prayed to God, and God's answer was, no. No. I'm going to let this demon keep, continue to harass you or whatever yeah. he was doing. We don't know exactly. He called him a thorn in the flesh. Yeah. But. God's answer was no. Why? Because he said, you, through Christ, you have the power to deal with these temptations and deal with this issue, and it keeps you humble. Yeah, you're you're better off with this demon (laughs) troubling you. What a crazy idea. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And um, so I I just think we have to, it's it's this emphasis on this, and the, the emphasis should not be on Greg Locke or any other pastor casting away these demons from people because this is not what the Bible tells us. No, you're the the only people who were cast that demons out of were non-believers, people who were yeah. possessed by a demon, not yeah. people who are being oppressed by a demon. If you're being oppressed, then James four four, First Peter five eight, Ephesians six eleven through seventeen, those give us instructions on how to deal with the devil as believers. Amen. And so. To me, what, what what's happening here is just completely contrary to what the scripture teaches. Yeah. And this so so if people want to know why are we being so harsh with Greg Locke, it's because what he's doing is contrary to the Bible. Yeah. He's not teaching people to submit yourselves to God. He's teaching you to come visit his church and get demons cast out of you. Yeah. Yeah. He's not teaching you how to resist the devil. He's gonna do it for you. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's appropriate to uh to rebuke. Let's suppose that Greg is a true believer and a, a man who's truly called of God to preach the gospel. I'm going to give him that margin in this conversation. Uh, if that is the case, then all the more he should be rebuked, just like Peter was when his racist tendencies showed up 
And the Apostle Paul rebuked him in front of the whole church. So when mm -hmm. true ministers of God, if he is one, uh, and I'm going to I'm going to say that he is, I don't know that God can answer that, not me, but true ministers can go astray just like Peter did. But when they do, they must be rebuked. You know, those who sin, a religious leader, a, a minister of God who sins should be rebuked before all. That's what it says in the New Testament. So it's appropriate that we call this out. Yeah, and it's it's dangerous because, it, and this is why I think uh, uh, Evangelist Shipper posted about it because mm -hmm. he 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 hit the key, he hit it right on the head. Yep. Right, the issue is that you're taking away personal responsibility for sin. Yep, and the Bible does not teach that. Yep. The Bible teaches that the sin is your problem. No demon is forcing you to do anything. Yes. If you are a Christian, yeah, no demon is. Nope. The fact is, it's still your decision. Whether they're tempting you or not, you are still making the bad decision. And it's still your fault. Nope. And you're the one who needs to repent. And you're the one who needs to be following God. Casting away these demons is not the solution to it. Yeah. It was, then the Bible would have told us it was the solution. Yep. 100%. Nope. So let me share the other comment from Greg. This religious spirit is disgusting, he said. This is a separate comment. I want nothing further to do with any of it. little side note here. I don't have a problem with the word religion. I want to be religious. I just want to be religious in the way that God has prescribed. So there's false religion and there's true religion. The New Testament, and I think it's James, defines pure religion. So the problem is not a religious spirit. Religious, it just means you're devoted. So he he's devoted to his own thing. He's religious in his own way. But that's not, I'm just fighting about words now. So I'll, that was a digression. I'll go back to the topic here. Uh, he says, the fact that you allow that sort of attack on your page is further proof of the agenda. This garbage is the exact same nonsense Jesus warned us about. The Pharisees are alive and well. It's shameful. I pray that, oh, this is crazy. I pray that every one of you have an experience with the demonic realm that so rocks and embarrasses you that you are forced to actually read a Bible instead of regurgitating fancy sayings from dead preachers. Well, just the, I don't know, the attitude of the whole thing should be enough for us to say, I'm not sure this guy's led by the Spirit. Right. Why Why would we want to listen to someone who's literally talking contrary to what the Bible teaches us? I mean, yeah. uh, the Bible tells us that they will know us by our love for one another. Yeah. Well, Greg, I don't think anybody is going to recognize you from that sort of speech. No. And who in the world would be praying for someone to have a demonic experience? No. Yeah. I mean. And if you go back up to what Phil right said. Hello, Lolly. This is my wife, Tanya. What's up? So just listening to all this, this is the type of nonsense that gives Christians a bad name. Mm -hmm. it is. And people don't, people think our Christianity is a joke because nope. if all this is going on in the world, why do we need God? It's my two cents. 
Yeah. If we're associated with this stuff, that's why we got to call it out and make sure we're not identifying with it. Because because if we're associated with stuff that even the world can tell is sensationalism and nonsense, then it discredits our ministry. So, yeah, it is. I think that's one of the reasons why going back to the demonology topic. Uh, well, we haven't, haven't really gotten to that main heading yet, but going, going to the demonology topic. Um, you know, the demons of Jesus's day often would come onto the scene and say exactly the truth. They would say, uh, we know who you are. You know, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus would rebuke them and tell them to be quiet. Why would he rebuke them if they were saying the truth? Well, their character and their reputation did not need to be associated with him, and he did not want to be associated with them. So uh, his rebuke of them had to do with him separating from the spiritual forces that were at work in those lives, I believe. And um, so that's why it's important for us to call this out, because, yes, it, it gives Christ a bad name and the truth a bad name when Christians behave like, you know, this group is, I, say, I should say, misbehaving, not behaving. But you know what? Going back to Phil's post, think about what Greg said. This garbage is the exact same nonsense Jesus warned us about. So Jesus warned us about telling people to take responsibility for their own behavior. Let me just read the little phrase again. Phil said, perhaps the deliverance that is needed is from making bad choices and then blaming the consequences on external forces. He's saying Jesus warned us about that kind of message. That's exactly the message of the scripture. Then he said, it may not be devils, but your own disregard for the word of God and the spirit of God. So positively, Phil is saying, pay attention to the word of God. Pay attention to the spirit of God. Take responsibility for your own junk. Don't be blaming others for your own bad deeds. Jesus didn't warn about that message being something that we should avoid. That's it's absurd. That's crazy. Yeah. I, well, I think uh, I, I read through some of the comments in the post, and I think uh, you know, there were just, I think the reason he commented was Greg commented was there was somebody that mentioned Greg and, um, negatively, right. And then, you know, he took offense to it and, you know, as great Christians, everyone starts bickering and yelling at each other yes. <laughs> on Facebook. So the world can see it. Right. It's a great, te great testimony. Yeah. <laughs> so I, to clarify for the listeners, I met Greg about 25 years ago when I was a teacher in a Christian school. He used to come preach in our chapel services. And uh, if you've never heard him, he thinks fast. He's a very gifted orator. Um, he preaches, or at least back then, he preached like a machine gun. He was he could talk so fast. Um, he was very expressive and boisterous and intense. He was very confident and came across as being super, super bold uh, in your face. And sensational would be a good word for his preaching style, which that wasn't strange to me. I kind of had a lot of that preaching culture in my background. I'm sure some of that culture still influences how I present myself in the pulpit. He preached against sin, hot and heavy, at least the kinds of sins that you would expect an IFB preacher to preach against. But over the years, Greg's focus has shifted repeatedly. I could even point to the past few years where his his focus has shifted repeatedly. When Donald Trump was not reelected, 
Greg essentially began to prophesy saying that Joe Biden would never be our president and, you know, Trump would remain president and all these kind of crazy things, which didn't come to pass. Um, so he had to shift gears and talk about something else. Um, so I'm, I don't have a lot of respect for the direction Greg has taken. And this topic, I actually already, before you even brought it up, Patrick, I had already posted a link that I would recommend for our listeners. It's, um, it's a blog by Brandon Vaughn, uh, V-A-U-G-H-A-N. I may not be, be pronouncing his name correctly. It's crossforacrown.blogspot.com. That's crossforacrown.blogspot.com. I'll try to remember to put that in the explanation when we post this, um, this podcast. But he actually went to see the movie. And um, both spoke of the positive aspects and the negative aspects of both the movie and the theology uh, that's behind the movie. But I had already posted that. So I was already kind of leaning in the direction of trying to deal with this issue. And I'm preaching this Sunday. Interestingly enough, this sermon has been planned for uh, probably six months at least. I'm preaching on how my praise affects the enemy. And in preparation for that message, I read an article by John Piper on DesiringGod.org. And the title of the article was Ambushing Satan with Song. And in that article, he included a story about him and several other Christians who were with him singing a one particular sacred song until a demon left a lady. So it's actually an account from many, many years ago when uh, he was involved in casting out a demon from an unsaved lady. So, you know, as I was preparing for that message and reading that article, the campaigns, the deliverance campaigns and deliverance ministry, like John, like, um, excuse me, like Greg Locke is involved in is not something I would endorse or, or accept as, as legitimate. But when I read John Piper's story, uh, which clearly he, his theology includes exorcism, I'm like, I believe that. I don't I don't have any reason to doubt, you know, the story that John told. And I certainly believe that those kind of things still happen today. Evangelist Rich Tozer years ago, probably y'all don't know who he is, but he's an IFB uh, evangelist, or at least he was back when I knew him. Uh, he, I remember him sharing a similar account of casting a demon out of someone, but it was through much prayer of many believers uh, in a setting that was kind of forced upon him, you know, that he prayed and this demon left this girl and then they were able to give her the gospel and she got saved and baptized and so on and so forth. So anyway, there's a lot of things that uh, have brought us to this place, making this a topic for discussion today. And I'm glad you mentioned a, a few moments ago that we certainly believe that, um, you know, there's, there's still the work of Satan in our world, which includes the interference of uh, demons in the lives of believers and unbelievers. Uh, so I'm not, you know, discrediting any of that by my attack. Uh, I guess attack's a good word on what seems to be a spurious branch in Christendom right now. So are we ready to move from culture and experience to just kind of talking about a few things out of the scripture, Patrick? Do you think we're there? Yeah, I think uh, we've beat the other horse pretty well. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, if you're a listener and you're uh, annoyed by all that, I'm I'm truly sorry. Let's get to the Bible a little bit. So, 
we can't do a complete thorough study on demonology, but let's lay out some basic truth. Um, first off, if you're not uh, familiar with demonology and what the scriptures teach about demons, demons are fallen angels. They are not lingering spirits of dead people. They have various titles in the Bible, familiar spirits. That's Old Testament. Unclean spirits, devils, messengers from Satan, and there's some others. Are there any other big ones that you can think of that people would encounter in their Bibles, Patrick? Um, no, I think that's, I think that covers it. Yeah. Evil spirits, unclean spirits, devils. So in the Old Testament, we read that King Saul both consulted a witch who, as an occultist, was speaking with demons, getting her information from demons. And King Saul also himself was troubled repeatedly by an evil spirit sent from God, which is an interesting angle angle on demonology. And in that story, somehow, someway, young David was was an exorcist of sorts as he played music to drive the evil spirit away from Saul. So whether Saul was possessed or not, I can't say, but he was definitely harassed and influenced by a demon. And David's music had the effect of uh, somehow separating Saul's mental and emotional state from the influence of that demon. And maybe that's what Greg means when he says we're casting out this demon. Maybe he just means we're casting the demon out of this room or, you know, out of this situation. Maybe he it, he doesn't believe they're inhabiting the body. Right. So I'll give him that possibility. I still think we're in, you know, dangerous territory with the kind of thing they're doing. But, you know, there's at least some precedent for the influence of a demon on someone who at least had been an instrument of God. I don't know if you believe that Saul was an apostate or just a backslidden saint, but he certainly had been under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you know, prior to this situation. Mark one twenty seven indicates that perhaps nobody had ever cast out demons, at least not like Jesus was doing in the Old Testament. As I perused the Old Testament, I couldn't find, you know, lots of accounts of demon possession or people being freed from demons in the Old Testament. But in Mark 127, it says they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commands he even the unclean spirits and they do obey him. Um, so it sounds like, you know, the, the audience was so surprised that these people were being set free from demons. Uh, you'd have to consider also, though, Matthew 12, 27 and Luke eleven nineteen, because Jesus said to the Orthodox Jews who said he was casting out demons with demonic power. In other words, Jesus had demonic power, and that's how he was casting out demons. He confronted them and contradicted them and said Satan wouldn't cast out Satan. And if I'm doing it in the power of Beelzebub, I think was the title they used, then with whose power are your sons or your children casting demons out? So it sounds like they were either attempting exorcisms or successfully accomplishing exorcisms. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, that is a topic that was dealt with during Jesus's ministry. Um, Jesus was harassed by demon-possessed people repeatedly in his ministry. 
as were some of the apostles in their ministry. But there's some really interesting truths associated with exorcism and the New Testament. The demons that the apostles tried to cast out during Jesus's ministry, at least in one circumstance, they were not able to cast those de- that demon out, even though Jesus had given them the authority to do so. And if you remember, uh, the reason Jesus said they failed was because they needed to do more prayer and fasting. <laughs> so they didn't need to be trained in deliverance ministry. That's something that goes on out there. <laughs> we'll train you how to name yeah. demons and cast them out. They didn't need more training. They needed uh, more sanctification. Uh, but the apostles failed in that exorcism, which is very interesting. Jesus also taught that a person could be freed from a demon and yet not filled with the Spirit and could end up with even more demons than they had had originally. That's an interesting um, rabbit trail you could run in demonology. So you could have Mm -hmm. the demon cast out, but if you don't have the gospel presented and you don't trust Christ, you're not going to end up better off. You're going to end up worse off. And then one of the last accounts of maybe the last account, I'm not sure, but one of the last accounts of someone attempting an exorcism recorded in the New Testament is when the seven sons of Sceva uh, tried to cast out demons <laughs> in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, and they failed miserably. That's Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 20. And um, That's the one where they, uh, they came back naked, right? Yes. <laughs> That yeah, one because, cracks me up every time I read it. It's so funny. <laughs> I yes. don't know what those demons did to him, but boy, they didn't have any clothes on. They were done with them. <laughs> yep. The, de- uh, the demon-possessed person beat them up and ripped their clothes off. So <laughs> if you're going to be in deliverance ministry, you better make sure that you're uh, you know, actually being led by the Spirit, lest these things happen. So since I'm suspicious, at the least, and maybe critical, cynical, and even diametrically opposed to deliverance ministry. My mind, obviously, is gravitating to passages that line up with my view of that type of ministry, and that's why I kind of thought of those negative accounts from the New Testament. Uh, But there are certainly notable successes during the ministry of Jesus himself, and some during the time of the apostles, when, you know, after Jesus had ascended. Uh, And I won't go back through those stories specifically, but the demons— that were cast out. They made people deaf. They made people mute. Uh, they made people insane, like the maniac of Gadara. And actually, there were two guys there living in the tombs that were both possessed. They made those those people who were possessed by demons prophetic. They would know things that you shouldn't know or couldn't know without some kind of spiritual foresight. And certainly, self de- being self-destructive was a common trait. You remember the demon-possessed boy that was jumping into fires and trying to drown himself and things of that nature. And, you know, that doesn't that doesn't match with a lot of the things I'm hearing out of deliverance ministry. What were some of those things that you encountered that they're saying demons are doing this or that to these per- these people? What were some of those things? Well, like alcoholism, right? Yes. I mean, the Bible doesn't say um, cast out a demon because you're getting drunk. It says don't be a drunkard. Right. <laughs> you know, it, because it's a choice. It's not a demon who's making you be an alcoholic. Right. Or, um, you know, so they're doing it for that. They're doing it for depression. They're doing it for 
different sexual sins. I mean, you name it, whatever you can think of that people do wrong. It's uh, it's a demon that's causing it. But um, I haven't heard of any instance where someone was deaf and they cast out a demon and now all of a sudden they could hear or they couldn't speak and they cast out a demon and now they could speak. Um, or they were cutting themselves or trying to throw themselves into fire and all of a sudden that stopped. Those, those don't seem to be the type of examples that you see in these deliverers, deliverance ministries. Yeah. It seems to be Christians who attend their church and attend churches and are struggling with various things in their lives. And then they come to a deliverance ceremony or whatever they call it. I, I, I don't even know what their name is for, but they attend these things and now all of a sudden all their problems are solved. Yeah. Yeah. You reminded me of Ephesians four. Paul said, put away lying, speak truth with your neighbor uh, because we are all members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole still no more, but let, but rather let him work or let him labor working with his hands. The thing that is good that he may have to give to those who need let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. The solution that Paul gives in Ephesians 4, in addition to the, some of the good solutions you've mentioned already and that we've talked about here, he's saying, quit acting like the devil and you won't be giving the devil a place in your life. <laughs> you know, stop lying. Uh, don't let angry anger control you. Uh, stop stealing. Get to work. Stop gossiping. You know, he's not saying go get somebody to lay hands on you and plead the blood of Jesus over your lying lips. He's saying, stop lying, speak the truth. You know, so the devil's certainly involved. Anytime we're not obeying the Holy Spirit, then we're cooperating with Satan's program. I'm not denying that, but the solution is not this deliverance ministry. So I think every true believer would, most true believers would readily surrender that uh, exorcism was common during the three years of Jesus's earthly ministry and even during the, the ministry of the apostles. But, you know, beyond Pentecost, beyond the book of Acts, beyond the ministry of the apostles, with this modern interpretation of, of what exorcism might look like, I think that's really what we're, you know, dealing with here. Um, Acts chapter 5, verse 16, we read that there were also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Uh, I noticed there, Patrick, that you've got people who are sick and people who have unclean spirits. So it's not like every sickness was a result of an unclean spirit. There were right. both people who were sick just because they were sick, and there were people who had unclean spirits. So it's not like everybody had an unclean spirit. And Jesus himself and the apostles didn't associate with, you know, every problem, a demon. And they certainly didn't name them, you know, what was that name I ran into yesterday? The, the spirit of Jezebel or something like that. They're naming these powerful spirit of Jezebel. We cast out this spirit of Jezebel. Um, mm -hmm. Jezebel's in hell. She's not going around tormenting people. And then Acts chapter 8, verse 5 through 8. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ unto them. The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. He's, he's a deacon. I put these verses in here because in Acts 5, it was apostles doing the work. And here's Philip, a deacon, doing this work. Uh, the people listened, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies. 
They were paralyzed and many that were lame were healed. So again, you got different categories of problems that Philip was dealing with. Some who were possessed with demons, some who had, you know, paralysis, some who were lame, and there was great joy in that city. So again, not denying the power to cast out demons, but just questioning the uh, legitimacy of what these, you know, folks in this deliverance ministry are, are teaching in the Doubting, doubting that the people that they're working with are actually even inhabited or or tormented by demons, and if they are, that I'm doubting that this this deliverance is legitimate. So it seems that everything from, as you pointed out, substance abuse or addiction to poverty to viewing pornography is sometimes blamed on demons in these circles. I've run into people even in in our ministry who think their house is haunted, or they have generational curses on their family. And so, you know, they need deliverance, which I'm not saying that, you know, demons can't torment a father, son, and a grandson, but the answer is still the gospel and simple, humble, spirit-filled prayer. Uh, Not only the people around those who are, you know, struggling with whatever demonic forces are at work, uh, but the people themselves, you know, that's still, the solution is very straightforward. So... And speaking about the word deliverance, I'm almost done with my monologue here. Feel free to interrupt me. But uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 repeats the prophecy of, of Isaiah 61, where Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. I have a strong opinion about what that phrase be. Uh, preaching deliverance to the captives means. So I I, I assume you would think that um, Luke 4.18 and Isaiah 61 was not talking about the kind of deliverance ministry that Greg Locke's uh, promoting uh, or no, these no, other charismatics. I don't think it does. <laughs> yeah. So the kind of deliverance that I believe Isaiah was talking about and Jesus was talking about and that we should be talking about the kind of deliverance ministry that's legitimate, I want to be in this kind of deliverance ministry, is explained and described in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. If you didn't listen to anything else in the podcast, listen to this. This is the important stuff. Paul said, we had, past tense, the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Now listen to this who delivered us from so great a death, that's my salvation, that's my soul's salvation, and does deliver us, that's my current growth in grace, growth in submission to the Holy Spirit. He does deliver us. He delivered us from so great a death. He does deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, which is concerning our future uh, sanctification and our resurrection. So that's progressive salvation, the salvation of soul, spirit, and body. That's what he's talking about. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when he preached deliverance to the captives. He's talking about the deliverance from our old Adamic nature and the curse of sin and our association with our father, the Mm -hmm. devil. So that's what I believe he's talking about. 
Yeah, I mean, the Bible teaches that we were slaves to sin. That's this yes. captivity to sin. And he has delivered us from the bondage of sin. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty plain message in the Bible. Yeah. I hope they're not using this verse for their deliverance ministry, because that's ridiculous. <laughs> well, they're, they're using the Isaiah one. I don't believe, I, I haven't heard them. They may be, but I haven't heard them using 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 11. But if you're going to take your definitions out of 2 Corinthians 1, then I'm in the deliverance ministry. And every gospel preacher is in the deliverance ministry because we preach Jesus crucified and risen, and those who look to him can be saved and delivered from everything that stands against their soul. So, you know, absolutely. And if there's a demon that's oppressing or tormenting or tempting you as a believer, you know, harassing you, then the answer is Jesus. You know, that's the answer. So, if that's what you mean by deliverance ministry, absolutely. But I have no place for, you know, any campaigns of of the sort that are going on in this deliverance ministry diversion. That's what I would call it. So, yeah, I do believe in deliverance ministry. Just not, you know, the campaign style of continuationist, you know, charismatic theology and expressions of it. Um, I do believe... This is a strange statement for, you to, for me to make, I suppose, Patrick, but I'm, I'm going to make it anyway. I do believe God could do something like this. In other words, I believe that there could be um, a group of people or a culture or a setting where there are lots of people who have who are demon-possessed. I'm not talking about believers, but unbelievers. And that some man of God or some team of godly people could be used of God to cast the demons out of all of them. So I do believe that God should do something like that. Well, of course, I think I think what hopefully our point is that we're getting across is we're pointing out all the unbiblical things of these yes. ministries, which yes. make it clear that just because there's a potential truth in there, when you see all the things that are contrary to the Bible, it means you got to throw it all out. Yes. That, that's the problem I have. You know, no. um, the biggest problem I have is that they're delivering christians from supposed demons and the bible just doesn't talk about that at all it simply does not um the bible talks about casting out demons out of unbelievers um and most of them have very serious problems um as you can see from the examples you know they're they're critical you know they're lame they're blind they're acting completely crazy you know a, a bunch of different instances that were given that don't look anything like what's going on in the these ministries. Um, I mean, there's, you know, there's no doubt. And and I get it because there are, you know, I think in many ministries in America, they discount everything supernatural, right? Um, You come to Africa, right? You come to Africa and you have the exact opposite problem. Everything is spiritual here. Um, And they have good reason. I mean, there's a lot of evil, dark spiritual forces more obvious at work. I don't I think Satan is just as much at work in America as he is here, but there are things that are more obvious and apparent out in the open that you see, you know. Um and a lot of these people experience those sorts of things. Again, we still have to follow what the Bible says and what the right. Bible's instructions are for this sort of thing. Not make up our own formula for how we're going to solve these issues. Because right. the Bible doesn't teach us to start deliverance ministries and go around casting out demons out of Christians. It's just 
you know, nowhere is that taught. Nowhere. You know, and Greg Locke, who wants to say he believes in the Bible so much, um, and wants to say, Well, you can't do with what's in the Bible, then show me this example of where we're taught that Christians should go around uh, and do an entire ministry of where we're just going around casting out demons. Yeah. Why aren't you just preaching the gospel and spending your energy on that? Because that's the church, the mission the church is left with. Yes. Um, Christians don't need to be, you know, Christians need to focus on themselves as it relates to um, spiritual warfare. The Bible clearly teaches that. And maybe you should be discipling believers and teaching the truths that the Bible say so they can have have their armor up um, and and in, you know, their faith be strong. That's that's what he should be focusing his time on. Not going around wasting his time cat naming demons and throwing witches out of his congregation. I mean, what is this garbage? It's just yeah. it's just sad. Yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. You know, you reminded me when you mentioned about throwing the witches out of the congregation. We had a few years back, I don't know if you were there or not, but we had a man come to church and uh he kept standing up in the middle of my sermon, really expressively agreeing with what I was saying. But as I the service that, yeah. you do remember that. Okay. So yeah, but as uh-huh. as the sermon went along, it became less. I mean, at first it was a little bit surprising because we're not used to that kind of interaction, but then it became a distraction, which looking back, that makes me suspicious that something would distract from the teaching of God, God's word. It's hard to believe that that would be the work of the Holy Spirit in him. So, you know, I, I kind of made excuses for him at the beginning. I was like, you know, hey. He wants to praise the Lord. Let's let him praise the Lord. Uh, but then he actually said something that was wrong, and I contradicted him. I don't know if you remember that or not. And then he kind of just got out of hand, and somebody, uh, I don't remember who it was, uh, helped him out of the room, and uh, we never saw him again. I did find out that he had been me- messed up with some uh, some various cults. I didn't say occult, not the occult that I know of, but cults are they're just they're just the occult in fancy you know culturally acceptable trim trimming usually so uh but you know looking back i wonder if there was something demonic going on that day so yeah i'm not saying that that demon possession isn't real i'm not saying that god can't use true believers to cast out demons i just doubt that what's going on with the modern charismatic expression called deliverance ministry I doubt that that is the work of the Spirit and that it's legitimate. Uh, Our focus, as you said, in this time is on preaching the gospel. And I believe that the gospel is powerful enough to set men free from Satan's grasp. Whether they're tempted or or oppressed or possessed, the answer is still the gospel. Mm -hmm. And for believers, the solution is not going to some meeting and letting some sensational famous preacher lay his hands on you. The solution is the simple walk of faith in day-to-day disciplines, reading your Bible, praying, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself, being generous, gathering with the saints so that iron can sharpen iron, being busy in holy service so that you're not busy in Satan's service. You know, those are just practical ways that we can have victory over Satan in our life. And Jesus, you know, he, he accomplished what must be accomplished on the cross. I wish I had looked up that verse. You might be able to tell me where it is that says when he died, he made a show of 
of the forces of evil openly. Uh, he defeated them on the cross. I can't remember the exact phraseology there. Uh, maybe I need to look that up uh, before we wrap this up. Maybe I'll just put it into the um, into the into the description of the podcast. But that's all we need. Christ is enough. That's the point. We don't need this kind of show. So essentially, I agree with Philip Shipper. All this to say, I agree with Philip. <laughs> there's uh, <laughs> there's no benefit in saying that the devil made you do it. Whatever it is. Eve tried that and it didn't work. However, I always end up saying something that sounds like I'm opposing myself, but like Paul, Patrick, like Paul, I rejoice if Jesus is named. And so I'm happy enough to care for the flock God has given me responsibility for, and I'll let Jesus deal with Greg as he sees fit. So I'm not going to go try to shut down his church and, uh, Somehow or another, if Jesus is being named, somebody perhaps will be reached somewhere along the way. Uh, my dad used to say, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. So um, I still believe what he's doing down there is not what the New Testament teaches. So anything else you want to add? We've gone way long this time. No, I think uh, I think we covered it. <laughs> we'll see if we see if we get an email from Greg Locke soon. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I doubt he would take the time to listen to this podcast. But if he does, he won't like it. I'm sure. So Probably he may call. Not. He may call me up and say, hey, "I'll be a guest on your podcast," and I'll say, eh, "Nah, <laughs> 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 I'll pass." <laughs> oh me! So, if the listeners want to read something simple, biblical, and helpful along these lines, if I could give you one more recommendation, I've already given a couple of them in this podcast, but I highly recommend gotquestions.org and look up Deliverance. They have an article on Deliverance. What does the Bible say about Deliverance? And it's much more concise and to the point um, and can be quite helpful. They're very gracious in how they handle these kinds of controversial matters. So we've recommended their website before, and I certainly do on this topic as well. Jesus is enough, folks. That's the main message. Amen. All right. Well, I guess that about does it. Thank you, Patrick, for spending some time with me today. Pray for God's blessings on you and your family and your ministries continually. It was good to have a guest host with us today. My wife brought in a very important point, which I would not have made otherwise. Uh, we just don't want to be associated with this kind of uh, crazy business. Uh, to our listeners, no matter what platform you're listening to this podcast on, be sure to let others know about it and listen to other episodes. Like, share, subscribe, comment, review, etc. And we pray for God's blessings on you all and hope that you'll listen again next time.